0: Hello dear listener and welcome to Late of the Rings, a new podcast dedicated to Lord of the Rings the card game. My name's John, and here's my co-host, he's often seen with the Horn of Gondor, it's my good friend Emery. (laughs) Good afternoon John. how are you? Yeah, not so bad, not so
1: bad, ticking on. Um, And yourself, been up to anything interesting? Uh, I've been... um... Sitting indoors a lot. <laughs> yes. It's um, just to put it, if anyone's listening to this later, um, we're in late April now and we're still in the midst of the coronavirus lockdown. Um, so, yes, again, plenty of time on my hands to sit around thinking about all the stuff I could be doing. <laughs> You're such an out- outdoorsy type. I know, exactly. I would just be inside anyway. <laughs> it's
0: nice in here.
1: And what have you been doing in there, John? Uh,
0: not a lot. I have uh, I have managed to play some Lord of the Rings, the card game, which is a a big a, a big step up from last time. Um, it's,
1: it's, a, it's a boon when you're doing a podcast, on it? I think. Yeah,
0: it's <laughs> uh, certainly a step in the right direction. Um, and I well I can I continued watching Star Trek, but I'm not going to. Uh, we won't dwell on that. And what else have I done? Oh, I tell you what. I I finally finished watching the. Dark Crystal series on Netflix.
1: Oh, yes. Yes.
0: Other streaming services are available.
1: I, (laughs) I'd completely forgotten that existed, uh, even though I loved the movie when I was, when I was a kid. Um, How was it? Was it? It's stunning. It's,
0: it's, it's better than any puppet show deserves to be. It's, it's (laughs) insanely good um i mean it took me a long time to get through it because i kind of dipped in and out and and it's surprisingly long as a lot of these series are i think i think it's 10 episodes or even 12 episodes all of of, like a full hour each but if you are into fantasy worlds which i think you might be as a co-host of a lord of the rings podcast um the world they create is insane I, i don't want to spoil anything in it because we you and i both hate spoilers but it's so rich and it's so beautiful because it's obviously the vast majority of it is physical effects with real lighting on real puppets on real sets. And it's treated with such respect. I think it's um, Jim Henson's daughter who is the executive producer on it. And I was really impressed. Uh, I, I I I highly recommend it. Later of the Rings recommends.
1: <laughs> yeah. That sounds... That sounds fantastic. I mean, it's the lost art, really, isn't it? I mean, I guess we grew up in an era where we saw quite a lot of kind of well, puppets being used on the television, on, in films. And it, I think the advent of CGI kind of seemed to have killed that off. But it sounds like the potential is there for it to be as good as ever. Yeah, it's uh, the emotion
0: that is conveyed by these puppets is beyond belief. And I, I mean, Jim Henson always said that actually uh the dark crystal was his favorite thing he ever made he said it was the pinnacle of his achievements and that's coming from the guy who invented the muppets
1: <laughs> he th- he wrote it all as well right the, yeah, the original. Yeah, it's his, it's... yeah it was completely his wasn't it
0: yeah he uh he 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 truly believed that it embodied everything um that he stood for as a, as a human
1: <laughs> <laughs> how ironic <laughs> well, that and that is the uh, the mark of a, of a good piece of fantasy anyway i guess is obviously it tells you something about humanity doesn't it if it's if it's if it's good <laughs>
0: yeah absolutely and i think the um i mean i did i did say it, it felt quite long but what is what is great about it being done as a series now is that there's really plenty of time given to flesh out the world that it's set in and um and the characterizations so you really do feel for these little guys and and the struggles they're going through i mean i think any fans of lord of the rings should find something to enjoy in the dark crystal series so uh yeah check it out so that's what
1: i've been doing sounds great yes and that now now i need to find something else <laughs> are they making the series too no no cut back to-
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah but well, i think it probably probably gonna take a bit of time yes i should imagine so <laughs> yeah all the all the puppets are in lockdown <laughs> now that that's an internet show i would like to see <laughs> puppets in lockdown <laughs> out, out of character <laughs> at home <laughs> with the cast of a dark crystal. Um okay,
0: so uh so, should we move on? Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> okay, so coming up in this episode, um we're gonna continue our look at the corset spheres. This week we're gonna be focusing on, on lore. Um, we're going to start looking at the quests, which are included in the core set, starting with the first one. Um, the introductory passage through Mirkwood, um, and we have our fact of the week and some other good stuff on the way. Um, I'm actually going to start with a bit of news though. Okay. We don't, we don't have any jingles, but imagine there was a news jingle. (laughs) This is, this is very exciting for anyone who's just starting out with Lord of the Rings the card game. It's all in stock in America. Oh. I think everything apart from the last saga box is available now from Fantasy Flight, which means it should be hitting your local game store pretty soon, which is incredible. I mean, I I don't know how long it would take to get over to Europe, but usually it's a a few weeks to a month later. Um, It is a bit ironic that this game, which has been so hard to buy everything from has just come into stock when there is a global financial crisis happening.
1: But, well, but but also coming into stock when loads of people are sitting at home without an awful lot to do. So maybe they saw an opportunity.
0: Well, so, absolutely. Looking on the bright side there for sure. So all I say with that in mind is that if your finances do allow it and you are still looking to complete your collection, buy, buy, buy because as we well know these stocks do not
1: often last that long um so get what you can is my advice whilst you can and is it worth is it worth saying for new players as well who perhaps wouldn't have known like for example I wouldn't have known unless you unless you told me that um I guess the long-term future of the game is that I think they're, they're going to carry on with some reprints for a while but at some point in the medium term they're going to stop printing it all together, right? Is that, was that, is um, that correct? Well, they, they've not
0: said that they're going to stop printing it. What they've said is there aren't going to be any more APs or deluxes after the current cycle. Well, actually, they've said it won't come back in its current form. So they've not... They're, they're being deliberately vague, basically. Right. Okay. So they've, they've, they've not killed the game by any stretch of the imagination. You'll see lots of threads about people saying, this game is dead, this game is dead, and that's not the case. It's just they're not going to continue it in its current form. I'm not sure if they really know what the new form will be, but they do still hold the license. So I don't see any reason why they wouldn't keep reprinting because the the printing phase of the job is the easiest. Right. And they've just reprinted everything by the looks of it. So, yeah. So I wouldn't worry about That's good. that. good Although, I would say, I don't want to strike fear into anyone, but I decided to get into Android Netrunner last year, and I bought their brand new released, updated, core set version 2, and I think two weeks later, they lost the license,
1: and the whole game was shut down. Oh. (laughs) I've I've actually never... (laughs) That is unfortunate. I've never actually heard of that.
0: (laughs) All right. Okay, so that's the... the, uh, that's the big news. Okay, so like I said, the two main subjects of today's show are the lore cards from the core set, and also the first quest from the core set, A Passage Through Merkwood. Now, I did intend that we'd go through lore first, Emery, but I know that when we decided to both revisit A Passage Through Merkwood for this podcast, you took a specific lore deck into the forest. Yes. So... I don't know whether or not you'd rather talk about the quest and how your cards dealt with it, or talk about the cards and then the quest that
1: they faced. It might be worth saying off the bat, that yes, I did take a set with only lore cards from the core set into the forest, but they never emerged. (laughs) (laughs) So so I think last week we touched on uh, the fact about the tactics deck, if you tried a pure tactics deck with this first um, quest, you were going, very likely going to come a cropper, and I, um, that's exactly what happened to me. And trying it again now with just a law set, the same law deck, the same thing happened, and I couldn't I couldn't get through. I think I did a little bit better, but not not a hell of a lot better. <laughs> so actually, it's a little bit irrelevant that you tried to experience with a law deck.
0: It's not really going to make you any more insightful.
1: <laughs> full uh, well, stop Full stop. <laughs> yes well actually what it did do so I think we also touched on last week that lore out of out of all the spheres was the one that by that point I had played with the least uh, so I have had, have had a few quests with, with lore involved but this is the first time I've done a, a mod- so what it did allow me to do was see some of the uh, pitfalls as well of only having lore, uh, lore cards in your deck yeah I think it's um Especially starting out, it's incredibly difficult
0: to build a monosphere deck. Anyway, you just don't have the variety and scope in a single sphere to be successful. I, I think so. Okay. Well, I, I think
1: with- I think that with that in mind, I think perhaps we should just start with the law uh, cards. Then, would it be worth mentioning? Um, would it be worth mentioning that in the rulebook that comes with the core set, it gives you four uh, decks to play with which is basically four pure monosphere decks. And actually using those decks, you can complete this first passage through Mirkwood if you use uh, Spirit and, I think, to some extent, Leadership. I think I've completed it with both of those two before, but never with Law, which I've only tried once, and not Tactics, which I've tried the first time as well. See, that's interesting because you've got the uh,
0: new core sets, which came with a, I think they call it a... How to play book rather than a rule book. Um So my original rule book didn't have these these set um, these set decks, and it it just basically said just grab all of the cards from one sphere and play with it. I mean, do they specifically tell you to take cards out? Uh,
1: no, that's basically what it is. It's, uh, it's called it says it's called a learn to play. Oh, learn book. to play. <laughs> and um, on one of the first pages, there's a page called player decks, and. It says, Lord of the Rings card games uh, core set contains the following four starter decks. And essentially what it is, it's all of the cards from each sphere plus one Gandalf. Ah, uh, one Gandalf. Yeah, that's basically what it is. So, it's, for example, leadership, heroes are Aragorn, Ferdrin, and Glóin. Cards, all copies of cards numbered thirty to 27, which are all the leadership uh, ones. okay, yeah. And one copy of 73, which is Gandalf. So basically they're they're saying
0: handicap yourself by only taking all the leadership cards and just for added measure just take one Gandalf with you. Correct. Okay yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's uh let's take a look at these uh lore cards then. Um shall we start with the start with the heroes? Yep. Let's okay, let's do that. Let's start let's start with Denethor. Uh Denethor is a lore hero. He has a stunning threat of eight, he quests for one He can hit for one. He has a defense of three. It's very nice too. And three hit points. He's Gondor, Noble, and Steward. He is the Steward of Gondor. Um, (laughs) And he has an action. Exhaust Denethor to look at the top card of the encounter deck. You may move that card to the bottom of the deck. So, Denethor's a weird one for me. Because... When I read Lord of the Rings and, and and of course watched the films, I never saw Denethor as a hero. So this is this has hung over me every Ooh. time. Whenever I started playing the game, it was like. And if you look at look at
1: his picture, he looked shifty. He is a bit shifty, though, isn't he? Do you know how I always saw Denethor? I always saw him and Theoden having a bit of a mirrored story in that they were both rulers who had come under the, some evil spell they'd both lost a son and one of them managed to overcome that and uh, regain his honor and his pride and the other one fell into darkness and despair and I've, I, I so I always thought that that was that was a really cool kind of duality between those two characters so I never really even though Denefor was did act in not a particularly great way in, in, in many ways and didn't show affection for his son until the end i it was there was still that goodness in him you know it wasn't that cut and dry kind of good and evil sort of thing so he, i think he could be in the right circumstances <laughs> he could be, he could be a hero <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay well uh, i mean that aside i think we just have to accept the fact that in this game he is a hero <laughs> it's written on him yes <laughs> Um, so so what are your thoughts about him as a a card
1: well so i actually used him for the first time yesterday when i did the passage free mirkwood uh, quest i think his ability is actually extremely powerful however uh in the way my deck was set up and the way the quest went i didn't really have the opportunity to utilize it what tended to happen was i was having to keep uh ready so he could defend and use his free shield against some of these nasty enemies, which you do get in, in yeah. that quest. He's a hell of a defender.
0: I mean, yeah. he, whenever I play a log deck with and he's he is my go-to defender. And, and I think you're right. His, his ability is incredibly powerful. Unless you specifically have a quest which scrying the deck is, is vital for it to really know what's coming out. I would always just keep him as a defender. And if I happen to not have any engagements that round, then I'd use his
1: use his action to have a a little sneaky peek. Exactly. Uh, What I was finding is when I wasn't defending, I actually ended up using him to quest (laughs) Um, because there's another card we'll talk about a bit a bit later later. which kind of a little, not quite a duplicate, but has a similar kind of uh, ability. Well,
0: let's no, let's just jump to it now. Which which card do you have in mind? Okay.
1: Well, the card I was talking about was um, hennemarth Riversong. He's one of the allies, and he's the cost of one. Uh, he quests for one. He attacks for one. He's got zero uh, defense. He's got one hit point. So, not particularly hardy in a fight. However, he has got a a good ability. So here's Sylvan. His action is exhaust. Hen off Martha Riversong to look at the top card of the encounter deck. Um, so what I found was I was getting this guy out early if, I, if he was in my hand and I was pretty much using that every single time. So right at the beginning of every round, I'd exhaust him, I'd look at that first card of the encounter deck and that would allow me to plan properly in terms of who do I need to quest, uh, who can I leave back, etc. Do I need to leave someone to defend, etc. Yeah,
0: that, that's definitely a sound tactic. Of course, if you have them both in your deck, um, you could also use both abilities. Of course, you could use Denethor, look at the card. If it's terrible, throw that card to the bottom of the encounter deck, then use Henamath to see what the next card is.
1: I, I did I did think that, but I never really got the chance to do it just because I couldn't afford to have them both exhausted right at the beginning of each round.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess the timing there is, is, is key that you could... If possible, leave them till the end of each round, so you basically exhaust them. Do the scrying for the following round, and then ready them again. Ready, re- sorry, refresh them again. Ready for the next round. And so, what's that term? Are you scrying? Oh, scrying. It- yeah. This I don't know if this exists outside of card games, but so that's basically um, spying on the deck, having a little having a little look through to scry the deck. Okay. Yeah, I've never I've never heard that
1: before so okay well you're a learned
0: man so then (laughs) therefore therefore it probably only exists in card games
1: (laughs) my vocabulary is not that great it probably does exist (laughs) okay Um, another thing about Henemath,
0: um i have a love hate relationship with the artwork because i think it's really cool and every time i see it it fills me with joy and then part of me goes oh but he's so similar to link from legend of zelda
1: and it, that slightly bothers me. That's a computer game, right? Yeah. Zelda? Yeah. I've never played it, so I, <laughs> I don't have that. <laughs> he looks like a completely original piece to me. Well, after this, after this Google it. Okay. Maybe, or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, or don't. Yeah. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, after
0: all. <laughs> okay, let's jump back to the heroes then for one second. So the next one up is Glorfindel. What a hero. Now, that's a hero. Oh, yeah. This oh. guy's amazing. Yeah, incredible. Um, he is expensive. He has a starting threat of 12. 12. Um, but he does quest for 3. He hits for 3. He has defense of 1. And he has a whopping 5 hit points. He's a noble Noldor warrior. And he has an action. Pay one resource from Glorfindel's pool to heal one damage on any character, limit to once per round. Ah, what a
1: guy. Yeah. But he does have a crazily high starting threat. He's extremely useful though. I mean, to cut the quest for free and to hit for free, and his action's very useful too. If you can get enough resource into your into your pool. Yeah, so Glorfindel I I never used to play them very much in the
0: corset days mostly because I found that it made my uh, my hero starting threat just way too high um because I think when you when you first start out you it does take quite a few rounds to complete each quest
1: so therefore having a lower starting threat becomes
0: almost a necessity
1: yeah and I think there are definitely some quests or one that comes to mind which we'll discuss in a later episode where Controlling that is absolutely key to it, otherwise you can't actually complete it. From from what I found, anyway. <laughs> yes, I, I did find that playing passage of Mirkwood yesterday. So I'll I'll talk about that when we talk about the quest as well, specifically okay. about that threat.
0: So we just quickly do the uh, the last hero. Yeah. Okay. So the last hero is Beravor, which is one of the characters that Fantasy Flight created themselves. Um, she doesn't exist in uh, in any of Tolkien's works um i think uh, when 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 fantasy flight were putting this together they obviously stuck to the source material as as much as possible but anyone who's read lord of the rings will know there is a distinct lack of female characters in in, in the books so rightly so fantasy not rightly so that there's a distinct lack of female characters rightly so <laughs> fantasy flight <laughs> Decided that they'd have to uh, to write the balance slightly. And you'll see a few made up characters. So Berivore is one of those. And she is a Dunedain Ranger. And she has a starting threat of 10. She has two willpower, two attack, two defense, four hit points. So she is right down the middle. Um, <laughs> she does a bit of everything. Um... But she does have a pretty awesome action, and that is Exhaust Bear of to choose a player. That player draws two cards, limit once per round.
1: Yeah, she is great. I, I find her really, really useful because, as you say, she's an all-rounder, so if you, for any reason you can't trigger her, her action and get those two extra cards for whatever reason, she's useful in, in any other thing that she wants to do, whether it's questing, attacking or defending. What, what I think is,
0: uh, what's great about it is that you can, you can actually choose a player to draw those cards. So um, whenever we play two-player, we do tend to be on the greedy side. I mean, it's very rare that we'd ever play an attachment on each other's cards. Um, but being able to choose a player to draw two cards, that, this is one, one thing. This is the gift that keeps on giving. If you know that your companion has, um, has something to cancel a shadow or cancel a when-revealed you can use Bearaivore to to desperately try and find those cards.
1: So when you say we are selfish when we play two-player, do you mean that you are selfish, John? Is that what you've been doing all this time? <laughs> They're my cards. Mine. <laughs> if you wanted no those care. cards, you could have put them in your
0: deck. <laughs> yeah. I see. I see. <laughs> okay. I see you. <laughs> okay. So those are the heroes. I mean, then then they're not gonna set the world alight, but you can see that they um they all have their uh their respective roles. I mean, it I think when you think of lore, it's very much a support sphere. So if you think about the various effects that the heroes can do. So you've got Denethor, he can control the encounter deck, which is incredibly useful. Um you have Glorfindel who can heal characters and you have Bervor that can draw cards. So that there's not much there which is actually helping you quest or helping you fight. Um but it just supports your own way of playing. So it just if you need some more cards, you can do it. If you need to heal someone, you can, and if you need to know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Did Danathor have a Palantir?
1: Yes, he did. In the book, that's that's why he can see what's coming off of the encounter deck. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't think do they? They don't mention that in the film, do they? I think no. Uh, it is in the book, hundred percent, but it's not in the film. And I think in the film, Aragorn, when he looks at the Palantir, when he looks at Sauron to to lull him into opening the gates. Uh, that's that's the plantive which I took from Saruman but in the book it's the one that Denifor has in his vaults in Minas Tir if, I'm pre- if I remember correctly well I think it, it sounded very confident, I'll go <laughs> it did, with it didn't it? <laughs> I just made it all up <laughs>
0: um, so shall we have a little look at the allies which are going to come along with you on this doomed quest
1: <laughs> yes <laughs>
0: Okay, so we have we have a few we have a few elves and we have a couple of dwarves. So, um el- elves first. Yeah, sure. Yep. That's so
1: like you. <laughs> Age before? Well, no, no, no. Well, no, they are older. That's they true. They are older. That is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Generally,
0: <laughs> don't be fooled by the beards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so the uh, so the so the first ally that I've got here is the daughter of Nimrodal. and. She is a Sylvan, and she has a cost of three. She has willpower of one. She has no attack. She has no defense. And she has one hit point. That's pretty weak for a three-cost ally. So let's check this action. It better be good. So, action. Exhaust Daughter of Nimrodel to heal up to two damage on any
1: one hero. Thoughts? Well, I didn't include her on my very first deck with Lore. And I did include her on one from yesterday when I did Passage Free Mirkwood. However, I never got a chance to play her because of her cost. But I would imagine that in certain situations, that's an extremely useful action. She's someone you can just, you're obviously not going to use her for anything apart from maybe the occasional quest if you really need it. But she's going to be there just to heal damage, obviously. That but she's so fragile. She is. So you're not going to put her in a fight. And She could die anyway. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, as as we'll come on to later,
0: there's some there are some treacheries in the in the core set which will just wipe her out. Yeah, with with no no problem. Um, for a cost of three, I would at least like to see in two hit points. But yeah, if you can keep her alive, good on you. That's a that's a pretty powerful action for sure. Um, so Hennemar Riversong, we've done him. Uh, Gleowyn, my least favourite art from the core set. <laughs> yeah.
1: Why is that? I think it's his cocked head. <laughs> You're not a fan of a cocked head? No. You're like a, a straighter neck
0: I, in your yeah. artwork. I mean, okay, it, it's it's obviously quite difficult to play this instrument that he's holding here. But don't milk it, mate. <laughs> I think he's just, he's he's got into the song hasn't he? He's a minstrel. We should be getting into the song. He's there for a job.
1: Okay. <laughs> We're gonna be talking off air <laughs> about musicianship after this podcast. So it's <laughs> um, but I, I, I actually agree with you. I think also where he's got that kind of affected light shining down on him too. I that that is the original sort of artist's photo. You know he's going to stick it on his album, isn't he? That one, <laughs> <It's, laughs> Glairwin's minstrel songs. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> <Gleowen's> greatest hits.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so enough about the artwork and. But okay, so Glawin he is a minstrel, as people mentioned. He is. Oh, he's not. He's he's not even an elf. No, he's not an elf. No, he's Rowan. I said we had a couple of elves and a couple of dwarfs. I jumped to him. Yeah, the other the other elf was um, Hennemarth Riversong. Ah uh-huh. ha! Yes, of course. Okay, so Glæwyn is it a Rohan minstrel. A Rohan minstrel. <laughs> He's probably not
1: popular in Rohan, is he? <laughs> you can imagine they be more into kind of heavier stuff. Yeah, in Rohan. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this this guy Gondor maybe. Yeah, well, yeah. Gondor, okay. not Rohan,
0: not okay. Rohan. <laughs> Okay, so Gleowind, he uh, he's a cost of two. That's more like it. He will quest for one. He has no attack. He has no defense. And he has two hit points. See? Look at these stats compared to your daughter of Nimrodal. This is this is more like it. I, I take it all back. You look great, mate. Um, and he has an action. Exhaust Glarewin to choose a player. That player
1: draws one card. I love him. Useful, yeah. Well, yeah. You love anything that can give you extra cards. You like the Lord set generally. <laughs> <laughs> I do love
0: to draw cards. Um, yeah, well, I take it all back. This, this guy's terrific. He's cheap, he'll survive, and he'll get your cards. What more could you want? Well, a little less of the music whilst we're trying to ride our horses. <laughs> That's the price you pay, I'm afraid. That instrument looks pretty heavy as well. Is this on the back of a horse? <laughs> he's, he has to walk, surely. I okay. can't have him. <laughs> okay, no, he's, he's good. I mean, what, what, I, what I'm noticing here is that the, uh, a lot of the support cards of the allies in the support deck of Lore tend to support the heroes that you already have. A lot of these cards are doing the same thing, but to a slightly lesser, lesser uh, degree.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So the, how Henemartha River Song is to Denifor, so Gleowyn is to Berevor. Yes, and Daughter of Nimrodel to
0: Glorfindel with the healing.
1: Yes, right,
0: right. Um, so that's good. So, I mean, so really you could see how focused the Lord deck is as a support deck. I mean, you really can. What it does, it does well and it does often. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've got a couple of dwarves. Now, I've got, one, I've got one I really lean towards because there's one I really like here. We'll do him second. First up, we've got Erebor Hammersmith. He's a dwarf craftsman. He's accosted of two. He quests for one. He hits for one. He defends for one. And he's got three hit points. So pretty well-rounded there. And he has a response. After you play Erebor Hammersmith, return the topmost attachment in any player's
1: discard pile to his hand. That sounds really potentially useful to me. But I don't think um, I ever ended up using it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I agree. I think that you can see the potential, but you have to almost structure a deck or a game style to fit his use. Uh, I mean, he's quite he's quite all right as a rounded ally anyway. I mean, three hit points on an ally for two cost is pretty epic. Um, but for instance, if you had Eowyn, who we keep on harping on about in a law spirit deck and you discard cards to boost Eowyn's ability. Just a reminder that you can discard a card to give Eowyn an extra willpower each round. If you could structure it so you can discard an attachment, you could then um, bring Erebor Hammersmith in next round and this response would trigger and you could bring that attachment straight back into your hand. So you'd be able to boost Eowyn for essentially no cost.
1: Yeah, well, I was thinking with this guy, and I've, ne- I've never tried this, I was thinking if you've got a tactics, a couple of tactics guys, or, or one tactics hero in your in your deck, um, they get through a fair few attachments, which I think we'll sort of discuss next week. And that might be quite useful. Uh, when you've got restricted attachments, you can only have two. You have to discard one if you want to get another. But Then maybe you want to put one of those attachments on another hero or... Well, whatever that situation might be, I think he could he could be useful for that scenario too. But like I say, I've not, I haven't tried that yet. Do
0: you know what? I think over my years of play, I don't think I have ever played a third restricted attachment, meaning that I'd have to remove
1: one of the restricted attachments already on a on a hero. Um, That's a good point. I don't think I have either. But what in my months of play or <laughs> weeks of play? <laughs> I just think it feels like such a waste,
0: as in you've saved up, you've bought yourself a nice axe, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> just leave it there, leave it there on the banks of the Anduin. Or there, there could be other, you know, adventures later on where you are getting through a whole bunch of attachments, and as soon as you get one, you want to put it on, but then if you get a better one, you want to replace it, uh, which you can, but then you might want to use the one you discarded on another hero, say, or, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see whether that's useful, I think. But at the moment, I'm with you. Yeah, I haven't really seen the use for that yet. All right, do you, to, do you want to tell us about the final the
0: final ally?
1: Yeah, this guy is... So there's another dwarf. This is Minor of the Iron Hills. He costs two. He's got no willpower. He hits for one. He's got one defence, and he's got two hit points. He's a dwarf. His response is, after Minor of Iron Hills enters play, Choose and discard one condition attachment from play. Now that, there are certain quests where that is almost critical. If you can't, <laughs> I mean, if you could end up with, I mean, without ruining or spoiling anything too much, you can get condition, I think it says it's in the rules anyway, you can get condition attachments which go onto your heroes or onto a uh, an ally, which might prevent that person that hero doing certain things or what have you limit that hero in some way and i haven't seen any other way yet to get rid of the condition apart from this guy no this guy's gold for exactly the point you you raise you know there there are
0: some particularly nasty encounter cards which will put a condition on your heroes and allies and this guy is at this stage the only way of removing that um just as an aside here you will come across cards which say that you can discard attachments that you control. It's important to note that if a if a condition comes off of the encounter deck that gets attached to one of your heroes or allies, you do not control that card so you can't you can't get around uh, losing a condition attachment by going, "Ah, I can get rid of any attachment that I control because because you don't control it.
1: Sorry. Yeah, That definitely sounds like the kind of thing that I would misunderstand and yet again inadvertently cheat on. So yeah, (laughs) definitely worth pointing out. Um, So those are the allies. Yeah, so it's
0: it's not a thrilling set of people, but
1: they are indeed all pretty useful, just not in a fight. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, uh, I don't think I've played quite enough with law yet. Um I've only used law in conjunction with leadership so far and then a pure law set like I said yesterday. Um so yeah I need I need to figure out how it synergizes with spirit and tactics as well. So I'll definitely do that at some point. Yeah, I mean if you're building a pure support deck, I mean spirit and law
0: are are great for this. I mean they 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 work really well together. But you'll 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 find that in your own time. Is it worth just explaining what a support deck is as well, just for people who
1: um
0: well it it, sure so basically if you were playing a two-player game it's not uncommon for for one of it's not uncommon for one deck to be a heavy combat deck and one deck to support that deck so you'll you'll have one player who's basically taking care as much as possible of all the big bads and then another deck helping get rid of shadow cards get rid of when revealed effects and heal and help each other draw cards so supporting
1: supporting the players so so one player basically essentially doing the, the questing and the fighting and the other one supporting all of that yeah not necessarily
0: just the questing because the questing because there's a lot of support inside spirit in the fact that they have all the cards for cancelling uh treacheries and cancelling shadow effects and of course spirit is the heavy are the heavy questers but it, yeah it's mostly combat to be honest. Okay. Okay, Should we have a quick look at the attachments and
1: the events then, just uh just a quick, a quick a quick a quick look over. Yeah, totally. In fact, these are probably my favorite cards which I've come across so far in lore, the the events. Bold words. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> in my unlearned, I would say about lore particularly uh so far. Uh but there are some really good ones in here, so which are the pigs of your fancy? Uh, so, well, first off, there's the uh, Law of Imoladris, which costs two. Uh, that's an event. And the action is choose a character, heal all damage from that character. So if you've got somebody who's very close to, to dying, <laughs> whatever it is, for the cost of two, you can get rid of all of the damage on that person. So that that's very useful. Yeah, for sure. That's useful. I mean, it's not that expensive either. So. You
0: could you could definitely look at uh, including three Law of Imladris and then, um, and then maybe just skipping the daughter of Nimrodel because you know I I, I got the hang up that she costs three and she's going to die. Whilst you could, I would rather make room for the Law of Imladris for sure.
1: Yeah, I guess the other thing is if you can keep her alive, you can just keep using that every every round. However, there are other, uh, well, maybe it's worth worth talking about that sort of restoration of health um kind of card so the other couple in here there's another event uh, which is Bayon's hospitality which costs a whopping five however this is an extremely powerful card and the action there is choose a player heal all damage on each hero controlled by that player so if you've taken a bit of a battering and if you can give that to your fellow player as well if you're playing two player get rid of all the damage on, on on all of that player's heroes you know what I'm going to say there, don't you? Too expensive. It's five. It's Gandalf. It's Gandalf cost. <laughs> you got a thing about it, you? it's like if you're going to spend five, is this better than Gandalf? I think you'd struggle. To, I think you're always going to struggle to spend five on anything apart from Gandalf, if that's your uh, general view on it. Also, also, it's only heroes. It is only heroes. Yeah, that is true. This is nothing, This is not going anywhere close to any of my decks. Yeah. To be honest, I think you'd have to have a fair bit of cash <laughs> lying around to chuck this one out. You know, it's, and just just but just to finish off for once about healing.
0: Uh, hang on, one second. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. One second. Also, <laughs> this is Bayon's hospitality. It's not very hospitable to charge you five
1: to heal up. Come but, in. <laughs> Do you know what's less hospitable. It's like it's like ah Aragorn. Gimli, Legolas, please come inside. Uh you lot you're sleeping in the tent outside. <laughs> but <laughs> but we're we'll not heroes make, only. We'll not make the night. We've got injured men. <laughs> no, sorry. No. <laughs> this is as far as my hospitality goes. <laughs> it's a very exclusive establishment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I just skip to an attachment very quickly? You can do what you like. So uh one of the the other card in the core set, which is to do with healing, is self-preservation, which is a cost of three and it's a skill, and you attach this to a character, and the action is exhaust self-preservation to heal two points of damage from attached character. That's any character, doesn't have to be a hero. It's cost free, so it's a little expensive, but you can use this every time. So if you've got a character you're constantly putting in to defend or, or what have you, this is an amazing way to keep them alive. So on the odd occasion I did manage to get this one out, I actually ended up using this quite a lot, and I'm, I'm a big fan of, of this card, actually. Yeah, it is a, it is a little costly, but
0: it, it it is powerful. I think this is probably the best healing card that you get in the core set, for sure.
1: Cool. We're in agreement.
0: That <laughs> Had to happen sooner or later. <laughs> Okay, where do you want to jump to now? You're dotting around all over the place.
1: Um, so the other, I guess the other event cards, I've, there's two which are similar. I, I think it's worth talking about those as well, because I think these are really helpful if you've got a lore deck. Um, and they're Radagast Cunning and Secret Paths. And they both cost one, they're both events. Um, they're both quest actions as well. And Radagas Cunning the action is choose an enemy in the staging area until the end of the phase that enemy does not contribute its threat so if you've got some nasty enemy with a threat of four or three or whatever you don't want to and it's going to stop you from questing successfully or whatever you can use this card to stop that and similarly secret paths is basically the same but for location so it says quest action choose a location in the staging area until the end of the phase that location does not contribute its threat it's it's extremely powerful. If, if you want to just. Uh, need to get to the end of a quest card, say, whatever, you've got one shot at it because you know you haven't got any enemies coming and this is your chance to do it. You might bring Gandalf out to help him <laughs> to get you past that card or whatever. For just the cost of one, extremely useful cards.
0: Yeah, I think that, that they are cheap and they are universally helpful. Um, and just highlight one thing that we did mention in episode one it is a quest action. So these cards have to be played during the quest phase um and it's the only reason that's that's important you couldn't you couldn't just chuck radagast cunning onto an enemy to lower its threat so therefore it didn't engage you during the uh, combat phase this has to be played during the the during the quest um one thing which becomes very apparent once you start looking at these cards is how lore in general in the core set is very much focused on sort of encounter deck and staging area manipulation. So you have Denethor looking at the encounter deck. You have these guys making sure that the staging area is manageable. Um, the, the, other, the other spheres don't tend to worry about that too much. They're more like, we will help you get through the troubles you've got. This one is very much focused on let's keep these troubles to a minimum.
1: Yeah, that's a cool way to look at it, I think.
0: And actually, with, with that in mind, <laughs> yes. I, see, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to You're going to
1: go to the same place I was thinking. Oh, well, sure. uh, I don't... <laughs> <Go on. laughs> well, maybe maybe not. Is the Forest Snare. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Possibly my favorite card in this whole uh, set, in the core set, I'd say, for for
0: lore. I w- I'm also a big fan of the Forest Snare. I mean, again, it's, it's relatively pricey, a cost of three. Um, it is an item. It is a trap. It's an attachment that's important. Didn't mention that. Uh, and it states this: attached to an enemy engaged with a player, attached enemy cannot attack. And it also has a brilliant artwork on this one. You got I love it. I love the artwork. On this, I mean, yeah. I hate wags in general. So to see one trapped under a net,
1: you're you're more a cat person, aren't you? I am than than, than a wag. Yeah, <laughs> a yes. wag person. <laughs> <laughs> And what I love about this thematically as well is, so it's attached to an enemy, engaged with a player. And as you alluded to last week as well, an attachment can only be played at the beginning of a round. So it's, and you think about what this is, forest snare. So it's like, this is, you set a trap. So when it comes, you have to kind of lure it in first before you're going to set this off. So he does get a chance. He or she does get a chance to attack you before you can use this unless you can fend that attack off some other way. So it's got to be engaged first. So if an enemy is engaged, you'll have a combat round. And then at the start of the next round, you can play the attachment to, to snare that enemy. So worth bearing that in mind as well. If you have one of these in your hand, be aware that you're going to have to fight it first before one for one round at least before you can attach this. Unless you have that ally that
0: we mentioned last week from leadership, which can bring an enemy out of the staging area and immediately yes. engage you. Um, when that ally is played, I can't remember what he's called now. Go back and listen to last week's show. <laughs> but basically, if you play this guy, you can bring an enemy out of the staging area before engagement and then, boom, snare him straight away. Very
1: useful. Very useful. There's another couple of useful ones here as well. Probably for the last couple. Of, well, we've only got a couple left anyway, but um, two which I have definitely used a fair bit as well uh protector of lorian which is another attachment that's the title attached costs one attached to a hero um discard a card from your hand to give attach hero plus one defense or plus one willpower until the end of the phase limit three times per phase that means that you can throw away up to three cards and gain up to three willpower or or free defense um I found that I was having to utilize this a fair bit to get through quests when I had a pure lore deck. Um, might be less useful if you've got some spirit guys there, maybe, I, I don't know. But in, if you're using a lot of lore, it means you're, gonna, you're probably going to end up having a lot of cards in your hand as well. So you might end up with some spares, which you can burn to, to utilize the effect on this. And it only costs one. Uh, so it's quite a good kind of get out of jail card, I found, that one. So I'm a, I'm a fan of that one. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's uh, it's a real utility. Yeah, and the other one, the other attachment which I uh, thought was very useful as well was dark knowledge. Oh, this is great. So this this one costs dark, one. Dark as well.
0: knowledge. You found dark knowledge useful. That
1: that that tells me a lot about your personality. It <laughs> <She> probably does. <laughs> for somebody who loves to more than anything to get through for quests and without willpower, this one is an attachment which costs one. Attach to hero, attach hero gets minus one willpower. Um, but the response is exhaust dark knowledge to look at one shadow card that was just dealt to an enemy attacking you. So that can be, again, extremely useful to decide on who you might defend with, how you're going to defend, can you afford to take an undefended attack or not, wh- whatever it is. So I, f- I found this one really useful. You see, I, you see, I
0: hate dark knowledge. I don't think I... Ever played it? Anything that makes your you have to pay one, yeah. and it makes your heroes worse. I mean, yeah, yeah okay, it has a nice effect, but you, you're you're paying, you're paying to make your characters permanently
1: worse. I think you're, uh, I think you're a bit afraid to explore your dark side, just. <laughs> I mean, I love the, I love the theme of it. I love the, I love the theme that
0: that, that oh, the theme's fantastic. Yeah. That that you are you are actually you're turning to the dark side. You're you're joining with yep. Sauron for a second. I mean,
1: it's sapping the will, it's sapping the willpower from you. You're looking in the Palantir. That's why I put this one on Denifor. because he only quest for one, right? So I think I'm not going to use him for questing generally. So I'll put it on him, but I can use him to, I can use this every single round to to check a shadow card. Oh, I I I found it very helpful to plan my um, defences. You see, I, I dislike
0: this card so much that if we were playing together and we both, for some reason, had a lore deck, I would play the, uh, the Miner of the Iron Hills. And because Dark Knowledge is a condition attachment, I would remove it from your
1: hero. Oh, I see. Why would you do that? <laughs> this is your... <laughs> is this because <laughs> i'm left leaning I'm, fi- uh... <laughs> I'm fighting on the side of good <laughs> you're just going around with your dark knowledge yeah but then aragorn looked in the palantir didn't he and where did that get him uh on the throne <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> and, and peace and prosperity throughout all middle of middle Earth. i think it turned out pretty well actually <laughs> it's like all things in moderation right a little it's bit, of, a, a little once around, have a little peek. You're not looking at every single shadow card, just one. Just it's fine. Just a taste of, just a little bit of dark knowledge. Just a touch of, just a little. Yeah, it's like it's like putting a little bit of spice on your on your food. You don't want to overdo it, or you just ruin it, and you're hot and sweaty and bored. or what is this? Just a little bit can add some, you know, a little bit of deliciousness. That's what dark knowledge is. <laughs> um, I think we missed an event. <laughs> we, I think we missed two events. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. The first that's, your, that's, your, that's your dark knowledge, <laughs> right? You see, <laughs> I've, I think I've lost, I'm losing some willpower No, so Lorian's <laughs> Wealth cost of three, very straightforward. It's an event action, choose a player, that player draws three cards. Um, I think this is probably particularly useful in a two player game. I think if you've got lore, you're generally. I'm speaking generally, but you're generally going to be picking up a bunch of cards. Uh, so if you're desperate to find one particular thing in your deck, you might use this. I think this is more useful where you have a second player who doesn't, who isn't cycling through the cards as quickly. This is one where you can use to help out your buddy. That, that's that's the way I look at this one. Or, or I've probably not explored it enough as in one player to really see the advantage of it.
0: I mean, I do see its use, but I do think if you are playing a lore deck from the course set you 've probably got Barrvor in in your hand and and she'll give you two extra cards each round, regardless so but you must exhaust her as well oh, you really must
1: <laughs> you must exhaust her um, <laughs> if so if you had a way of uh readying her, then it was obviously a complete no brainer, and we've got um your favourite as well, Uh If you could also who like, to draw draw a card. No, I've changed my mind about him. He's great. No, I was being serious. Your your favourite. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to go and buy his album after this uh, podcast is done. <laughs> okay.
0: There was one more event. Okay. Yeah, we got the final event, which is Gandalf search. A cost of X. Oh. <laughs> we've we've not we've not we've not had an X card yet. Um. So, cost of X. It's an event, and it has an action. Look at the top X cards of any player's deck. Add one of those cards to his owner's hand, and return the rest to the top of the deck in any order. So basically, what, what the X represents is how many cards you would like to look at, and that would therefore dictate how much this card costs you. So if you just want to quickly peek at one and uh, and get it into your hand, then... By all means just pay one. If you if you happen to be rich, chuck six resources at it. That's a Gandalf plus an extra resource. And look at the top six and uh pick a
1: card and put them put the rest back. If, it, if it's just one, you have to peek at it first.
0: Well this is, well actually it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because it, what's what's interesting about this is as a player you play the event, but you yeah. could I'm just reading it through check I got this right you can look at any player's deck yep. but I would be the if I was looking at your deck I would be the one looking at the cards you would technically not be allowed by the strict rules of the game to see what those cards are oh definitely yeah, yeah. so I could look at them I could choose which one to give you yep and then I would rearrange those cards and put them back onto the top of your deck now and in theory because, well, we are going to do a feature on the rule of table talk in this game in a later episode, but um, in theory, you're not meant to specifically discuss cards in each other's hands. Um, so in theory, I could say, I put your cards back, they're in a pretty good order. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But I couldn't say Gandalf's next.
1: Yeah, right. Okay. If I was doing this, if I was using this card on you, I would be putting minor of Iron Hills as far back as possible. So, so you wouldn't remove my dark knowledge attachment when it came, when it came in. Are we, are we aware that this is not a competitive game? Yeah, well, I didn't think it was until the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> I thought I was the one for dark side. So, no, yes. No, no, you're quite right, Dave. Um, I jest.
0: Okay, so that's all the lore cards. I think we pretty much covered everything there is to say. It is, as we said many times, a, a good support deck and... Unlikely to see you through quests when played by itself, which leads us directly on to <laughs> you attempting to get through the first quest with a pure
1: lore deck. Yes, <laughs> passage through Mirkwood. Shall we just we talk about the um, yeah? So, what I want to do when we talk about quests,
0: because we're going to talk about uh, the various quests as we as we play our progression through the game, um, we're not going to go through every encounter card. Or, in fact, even every quest card. It's more just to have a chat about how we found the quest. Did did we think the difficulty level was too high, too low? Was it interesting? Was it thematic? And then, during the process of this, we'll definitely mention some encounter cards that we thought were particularly nasty or particularly fun or particularly interesting. Um, So, yeah. So, where are we going to start? We'll start right at the beginning the so-called introductory quest that they package in with the corset, A Passage Through Merkwood.
1: Hello, dear listener. This is a warning to let you know that the next section contains spoilers for the Passage Through Merkwood quest. If you wish to avoid these spoilers, you can carry on the podcast from 1 hour and 26. So we both went back and played this again just to remind
0: ourselves of what the quest entailed. Um, the first thing that struck me is that the quest, the quest itself doesn't do anything, which is is not necessarily a bad thing, but you'll, you'll, you'll notice in later quests that most quest cards will have various conditions that are required for you to get past them. In Passage Through Mirkwood, you just need the quest points, which I think is very smart actually from, from the game that the first quest you just have to quest successfully it really lets you learn the mechanics of the game without
1: bogging anything down that does that does also depend there are a couple of conditions and it depends which road you go down as well i'm not sure how much do we want to talk about that in any kind of detail oh yeah no 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 we could. i what
0: we'll what we'll do is we'll we'll go back and we'll put a spoiler warning on this yeah so I i think we can um we can just talk completely openly about the quest.
1: Yeah, cool. Okay. So we are assuming that, dear listener, you have attempted passage free workwood a couple of times. Maybe you've completed it. Maybe you're a veteran who's just coming back to this. We are assuming that you're kind of familiar with this with this quest and we're not telling you anything that's too kind of new here. Um so yeah, so you're right. I think the I think the first couple of quest cards are pretty much plow through it. Um until you you get to the last card, but uh, would it be worth quickly just talking about what the quest entails and what the theming of the quest is? Yeah, sure. So according to the rules, do pass through Mirkwood is a difficulty level of one, (laughs) which is the lowest difficulty level you can have. And it was surprising going back to this. I thought I'd sail through it straight away, and I I didn't. So it goes, goes to show that any of these quests can be a challenge depending on which deck you're using. Um, but just to read through the, what it says in there, it says, uh, Mirkwood has long been a dangerous place and recently one of King Frandwil's patrols has uncovered disconcerting signs of a gathering menace in the vicinity of Dolgulda. A party of heroes controlled by the players been assembled to carry a message through Mirkwood, down the Anduin, and eventually to Lorien to warn Lady Galadriel of the imminent danger. It's a passage through Mirkwood. It's a passage through Mirkwood. And, uh, the first quest card for this is called Flies and Spiders. Uh, and it says, it kind of reiterates what we just read, but it says you're travelling through Mirkwood Forest carrying an urgent message from King frangwill to Lady Galadriel of Lorien. As you move along the dark trail, the spiders gather around you. And the setup is, you need to search the encounter deck for one copy of the Forest Spider, one copy of the Old Forest Road, add them to the staging area, then shuffle the encounter deck. And then what you need to do to get through that first card is quest for eight. Yeah, so... the the quest itself is
0: not difficult but the 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 theming i think is lovely i mean there's there's lots of foresty locations and there's lots of spidery enemies but the two things two things struck me whilst playing this through again again i thought it'd be an absolute breeze and i did beat it on my first go and i and oh and i did i was only using cards from the core set so it's not like i i i took uh a full pool of cards. I went, yeah, it was surprisingly easy. I can't believe you lost. <laughs> I, took a, I took a tactic spirit deck through it, and it, but it wasn't as easy as I was expecting. Um, so three things struck me. One, particularly nasty enemies. Two, particularly nasty treacheries. Three, some surprisingly nice locations. And this is something which I don't think they ever revisited, is there are, are a good proportion of locations in here which help you out as a player and um let me see if i can find some here
1: well i think the very first one so the way this is set up is you end up with that forest spider on old forest road up in the staging area and old forest road the response there is after you travel to old forest road the first player may choose and ready one character he controls oh and th- yeah this became this was incredibly
0: useful to me because i think uh, the first treachery card i drew made me exhaust a character that i was saving <laughs> right so that that was lucky that i could travel there immediately yeah and, and so another one i think is the forest gate and that has a response that says after you travel to the forest gate the first player may draw two cards oh hello <laughs> oh, oh oh just like traveling there all day
1: <laughs> but I, I think that's that's great now isn't it i mean you know that's perfectly fitting in with for the theme isn't it uh, there are certain places you go which are which are great and and are nice i guess there are certain areas of this world of this world of middle earth where you're going to have a fair fewer of those but um that totally keeps in line with the uh, with, with with the story i think yeah so there are some nice parts of the forest i mean there's some particularly
0: nasty parts as well i mean um uh, if you sh- should happen to be walking through Mirkwood and someone says Let's go this way. It's much quicker. It's just the Necromancer's pass. My <laughs> advice, do not go down that pass. Um, this has a particularly nasty travel effect that the first player must discard two cards from his hand at random to travel here.
1: Yeah. That's just but, horrible. But then again, this is, this is why I love this game. Um, or one of the many reasons I love this game. It's got a threat of three. And if you've got no way to reduce that, and it's just stopping you questing anyway. Sometimes you say, you know what, I've just got to go around without, or I've just got to get rid of two cards and just get rid of this. I've got to go through it. It's only just got two. got to go through it. Yeah, it's only two to get through it. So, um, But yeah, it's f- fantastic. Um, but that, that is a nasty one. And then you've got one which is a bit of both, good and bad. So you have the Mountains of Mirkwood, which is two threads. And um, to travel there, you have to reveal the top card of the encounter deck and add that to the staging area. But after it leaves play as an explored location, each player may search for top five cards of his deck for one card, add it to his hand, and then shuffle the rest of the search cards back into the deck. So this one's got a, it's nasty to travel there, but it's, ah, oh, it's nice when you get out of it. So it's, you have some relief. <laughs>
0: This this card confused me. I actually did highlight this one as well. Because I couldn't work out for the life of me, and maybe I'm overthinking it, if it was better to keep this card in the staging area or travel there. Because in the staging area, it's got a thread of two. So, okay, yeah, you're going to have to quest each time two extra to get past it to make any progress on the quest. But if you travel there, it's got it's got three quest points on it. So okay, admittedly, you only have to do it once, but it's still one worse than the threat it was contributing. And I'm going to get another card put into the staging area just by moving there. So I, I was torn.
1: I traveled there. It's a risk. Uh, I think, I think it, depends on your, it depends on your deck, doesn't it? And your situation. If there isn't much in the staging area, you've got a very strong questing deck, you might just want to leave it up there. But if you're just scraping by every time, you probably want to travel <laughs> and take the risk. But yes, it's a, yeah, it's a risk, isn't it? You don't know. Um, so in this so-called nice
0: place of Merkwood that you've uh, you're trying to sell me as a travel agent,
1: there's some pretty <laughs> nasty beasts living there. Oh, there are. Yes, <laughs> I was I was surprised. I think, like yourself, having gone back to this, I actually played this quest a couple of weeks ago with one of the decks I made from. Uh, the first cycle, so I had a few more kind of high-powered cards in there, and it was just, um, it was a split sphere deck, and I did sail through it really quite quickly. I think I did it in three or four goes or something. But a, a dual sphere deck, a dual sphere, a big pun, but yeah. But coming back here, yeah, just a couple of weeks later, I had forgotten how nasty some of these guys were. You're absolutely right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's there's
0: there's your standard orcs. These guys are just your standard orcs. They're, they're fresh from Dolgador. And these are the Dolgador orcs. When revealed, the first player chooses one character committed to the quest deal two damage to that character. Yeah, nasty. <laughs>
1: <It's
0: horrendous. laughs>
1: uh, um, Yeah, they're horrible, those guys. And they've got an engage- very low
0: engagement as well, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, low engagement. They
1: don't have any shield, which is fair enough,
0: but they still take three hit
1: points to kill. It's uh, they're, they're not a given, no, absolutely. And then you've got chieftain, uff, I don't know how to pronounce one, uff fuck. chieftain, chieftain, uftak I mean, he's a nasty, he's a nasty beggar. This guy, so he's got he's got two threat. He hits for free. He's got free shield, and he's got six hit points. Unbelievable. This is the this is the introductory quest. Yeah, and not only that, he gets plus two. He hits for two extra. For each resource token on him, why would he have a resource token on him? Well, forced after chieftain Uftak attacks, place one resource token on him. So every time he attacks, this guy gets he's going to hit for two more as every round goes on. So you want to be taking this guy out as quickly as possible. You 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 got to get rid of him that first time. There's, but there's... he's got but 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 you got to get nine on him. He's got a defense of three and six hit points. <laughs> so you got to plan hit plan this guy pretty well. Welcome to Lord of the Rings: The Card Game. Yes. <laughs>
0: your introductory quest: a passage through Mirkwood. Here's your host, Chieftain Uthtak.
1: <laughs> I'm suddenly imagining him uh, presenting some <laughs> question. <quiz show. laughs>
0: but if you if you think that guy's bad, and, uh, we're not making that this up. These these cards are all included in the introductory quest. If you think that guy's bad, heaven forbid you turn a corner and you get a face full of Hummerhorns. These guys are the worst. I detest these guys. <laughs> so Hummerhorns are some particularly nasty insects. Um, they they only have an engagement cost of 40. So if if you have a low starting threat, you can keep them in the staging area. And, and you really have to actually keep them in the staging area as long as possible. Um, and they only contribute one threat. So... If You you can keep them at arm's length. Just, if you see a path and there's a load of Hummerhorns down it, don't go, ah, I think I can get past. You can't. (laughs) So, they have Thread of 1. They hit for 2. That's not so bad. No shield. Definitely not so bad. 3 hit points. Piece of cake. However, these insects, they have a forced effect. After Hummerhorns engage you, deal 5 damage to a single hero you control. There's no putting this damage on your Snowborn Scout. This five damage is going bang on your hero's face.
1: (laughs) He's nasty. You just want to avoid this guy.
0: Yeah, and actually there are very few enemies in this whole game where you just think, I'm just going to avoid them forever, rather than I've got to think of a way of taking them out. But these you just absolutely have to avoid or find a way of taking them out in the staging area. Or, I mean, as I'm saying this
1: there are a couple of ways, I think. So you can on. do a, a quick strike, for example. Oh no, this after it engages you. Yeah, no, oh, quick strike. Gosh, you're yeah. you're already dead. What are you gonna no, quick you're strike? Right, you're right. What, you
0: gonna quick strike with your, your dead elf.
1: <laughs> yeah, you need to, yeah, you need something and someone that's gonna take them out in the staging area. And there's only a couple of ways to do that, I think. There's only one guy who likes the Hummerhorns. And that's... uh, What's what's the chap's name? The leadership? Brock
0: Ironfist. Brock Ironfist is sat on the sidelines, smoking his pipe, going, (laughs) I hope those Hummerhorns come in and kill
1: Gimli. Because I'm ready. (laughs) And insects are are my speciality. (laughs) There is... um, I've had a complete mind blank now. Who what's the name of the uh the other leadership character? Uh, a leadership hero, rather. Gloy? No, the other one. Who can attack in the staging area? Um oh, oh no, um
0: no, you're thinking of uh Dune here from Spirit that we uh that we, yes. that we talked
1: about before. That's the one. He can take him out. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's that's uh that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so basically what we're saying is even though there isn't much going on in the quest and therefore it could be seen as a bit boring in that respect but actually i i don't think it is because when you're learning the game not having to worry about the quest also being against you and just learning the mechanics is is absolutely fine to start out with so even though it is an introductory quest in that respect um there are some nice locations so that's good but aside from that. This quest will kill you. Be in no doubt. Um, I mean, if you think the enemies are bad, should we talk about some of the treacheries you might come across on your little passage through Mirkwood?
1: <laughs> yeah, there are a couple. Oh, well, the, the the two I wanted to talk about. Oh, I wonder if that. I wonder if they're the same too. i I've got a. I've got a photo of them. Okay. Well, the first one was going to be uh, the Necromancer's Reach. Ding. Okay. <laughs> in agreement. And says when revealed deal one damage to each exhausted character so you when you're generally going to see this after you've quested so basically anyone who's quested is going to get damaged plus if you've triggered somebody's ability from the beginning like, i don't know you had berivor who you want to get two cards or, or what have you, you they're getting damaged most of your heroes are going to survive this one if they're undamaged at the beginning but a lot of your allies are going to be in trouble and obviously if if you have maintained some damage this can be really nasty i got this one yesterday And I think I had seven characters in play. And then after it, it, I had three. (laughs) It wiped out my entire allies (laughs) in one fell swoop. Uh, So it pretty much lost me the game at that point. But that's a really, really horrible card.
0: Yeah, it's a nasty bit of work.
1: And what's your second one? Let's see if we go two for two. Uh, My second one was caught in a web. Ding, ding. (laughs) We got the same ones. (laughs) Probably a good sign uh so this one is uh i, I love the theming on this so, so caught in a web when revealed the player with the highest threat level attaches this card to one of his heroes counts as a condition attachment with the text attach hero does not ready during the refresh phase unless you pay two resources from that hero's pool now this can completely hamstring you uh this happened to me last night i ended up putting it on Denefor because i thought The other two, I'm definitely going to exhaust every time. But then I needed him to defend and suddenly I ran out of resource and it it was all a bit of a nightmare. Um, But this is where your chum, um, (laughs) minor of Iron Hills, if you play him, he can get rid of his condition. That's what he does. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't have one of him to come in and (laughs) help me do that. (laughs) Yeah, this this is particularly nasty
0: and it can really put an end to your first ever game Um, there are a few ways of getting around it without the miner of the iron hills Um, you could have unexpected courage for instance so you could ready outside of the uh, refresh phase Um, and you could use Aragorn's ability does that work? yeah that, that works because you you could Pay one resource from him to ready him after he quests. And then as long as you didn't exhaust him again,
1: he would be ready to quest again the next round. Does that work? That's true. But unless effectively, you still have to pay two resource to have him do two actions. No, you'd only pay one. But to have him do two actions within a round. Oh well, I, well, you'd have to pay three, wouldn't you? Because you'd have to pay two yes. for caught in a web, and then no, I'm saying you'd have to pay two additional to have them do the second one, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not mo- it's not that economic, but there there
0: there is a way of getting around it. So, but it is indeed pretty
1: unpleasant. Now, what makes webs? I was trying to think of some witty repos, but I couldn't think of anything apart from spiders. <laughs> What what a terrible affliction! <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I mean there are some particularly nasty spiders in here, which is not surprising. You are in Merkwood, but um, as you alluded to earlier, this, as you complete the second quest card, you are faced with a choice of a chosen path, and you'll um, you'll choose one of two stage threes yeah, at um, random. At random, indeed. Um, now, one of these is a, a, a simple quest card again that you just have to put the, the 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 number of quest tokens on, and you
1: complete the game. The other, on the other hand, uh, not quite. Go ahead. Because I remember the first time I nearly completed this, I got that one, which is called Bayon's Path. You need to put ten progress tokens on it, and you could, that's all you need to do. You've done it. Cool. Um. They say players cannot defeat the stage while Ungolian Spawn is in play. Aha. Uh-huh. Players defeat the stage have one game. And I think I had nine progress tokens. Now I was I was on the verge of victory and I drew Ungoliant Spawn. So I got the worst of both worlds, where I had to quest for ten, and then Ungolian Spawn came along and basically killed me. And that was uh, <laughs> and that was the end of that. So I was very close to winning my first ever game on my own and 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 that happened. <laughs>
0: That's the game. That's the game. Um, so um, you, you, you said the worst of both worlds there, so it might be worth just
1: reading out what happens if you choose the other path. Yeah, so the other one's called Don't Leave the Path. What, wise words. Wise words indeed. And you don't need any progress tokens at all on this one. Woohoo! But it's say When revealed, each player must search the encounter deck and discard path one spider card of his choice and add it to the staging area. Players must find and defeat Ungolian Spawn to win this game. So, if you haven't already defeated Ungoliant Spawn earlier in the quest, then you're not gonna you're not going to win until Ungoliant Spawn is defeated. So the wise thing to do here, unless you're in really 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 deep trouble, is that one spider card you search for you want to bring out Ungoliant Spawn, kill Ungoliant Spawn, you win the
0: game. Sorry, you just you you made me think of something. Can you just read the? You said if you haven't already defeated it, do you not have to defeat it
1: again? I don't think so. It says. When revealed, each player must search the encounter deck and discard pile for one spider card of his choice. Yeah. And add it to the staging area. The players must... Oh, actually, no. It says the players must find and defeat Ungolian Spawn to win this game.
0: I thought so. So
1: find. So does that mean then if you've already defeated Ungolian Spawn you happen to draw it in the encounter deck, you have to go back and defeat it, de- defeat it again? I'm afraid you do. Oh. Well I've always chosen and that's never happened to me. So oh. but but I definitely I definitely would have made that mistake as well I think. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, but so
0: obviously the cho- <laughs> obviously you're given a choice to find any one spider if you're playing by yourself definitely find Ungolian spawn you'd be foolish just to pick another spider and wait for Ungolian spawn to come off of the encounter deck. Um, um I just want to bring it back to that quest card for a second, uh, because there actually is an important bit of wording on there. Um, As you read, it says, uh, when revealed, each spider must... Not each spider. When revealed, (laughs) each player must search the encounter deck um, and discard pile for one spider card of his choice and add it to the staging area. Now, the important word here is add. It, It doesn't say reveal and add to the staging area. So that means if you... Choose a spider which has a when-revealed effect that doesn't trigger. And that's quite important because... um I mean... Uh, sorry. So therefore, I'm go- going to spawns when-revealed effect won't trigger. But it's unlikely that that would cause you any grief at this stage anyway. But let's say you're playing a two-player game and then you reveal, um say, the king spider... That has a nasty when revealed effect. I think it says um, each player must choose and exhaust one character he controls. But because the quest specifically says add and not reveal and add, that when revealed effect doesn't trigger. And that's uh, that can be a lifesaver. Oh, by the way, they, uh, they soon rectified their mistake. And now nearly every time you have to take a card from the encounter deck, it now says reveal and add.
1: Is that right? Okay, so that's another one I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think every time I've done this quest I had been triggering any when revealed effect at that point. So that's so when it says add, it's basically you're not revealing the card, you're literally just putting it in the staging area. Correct. Yeah. Magically appears. Yeah, end of story. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: uh don't get used to it as I say. They <laughs> <laughs> nearly I'd say 95% of the time you'll be revealing and uh, getting punished for it.
1: Yes. But a good to think, good to know the distinction though. Add and reveal. So that's another one for the list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you see that's a kind of that, that that's a kind of core bit of information which is almost precisely what's no precisely what I this no podcast idea. is about.
1: <laughs> no clue. Zero clue. <laughs> Literally no idea. Why would it be different? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good learning curve for me doing this. Yeah.
0: No, but but it, but it's um yeah, but but that's a yeah that's a good one then for the new, new players. Yeah. Um, we should let the listeners know what Ungoliant spawn is. I'm going to put change my hat. Game player hat is coming off. Lord of the Rings geek hat coming on. <laughs> Ungoliant spawn. Do you know? I mean, do you know who Ungoliant was? The spider. Well, wow.
1: good guess. <laughs> I, I did know this. Is this in The Hobbit? No, it's in The Silmarillion. Um, ah, un- I read that once a long time ago. So, okay. Ah, okay. Well, it, first age. Indeed. <laughs> um,
0: well, Ungolian was is an evil spirit. If, um, um, see, I'm gonna have, we'll have someone writing in saying that we've got this totally wrong, but I, I'm going by memory here. Ungolian, I believe, was a, an evil spirit that took the form of a spider... When it was cast into Middle Earth, um, and and had many spawn. This is what I remember. It has it has many. Basically, it infests the world of Middle Earth with spiders. Um, there is only one named spawn of Ungoliant from Tolkien. Do you want to uh, take a guess who that might be? Shelob. Yeah. What a piece of work. <laughs>
1: I'm not a fan of spiders. I think mm. weirdly, giant spiders might be less scary than actual spiders. How about
0: forces of evil that just take the form of spiders? Well,
1: that's what spiders are, anyway. Okay, <laughs> um, so <laughs> shall no, we? No, just... I have a friend of mine who's convinced that spiders are the most misunderstood creatures. He loves them. <coughs> he just takes them in his hands and looks just a harmless little spider, and I, and I always think. Well, you wouldn't do that if we were in Australia, would you? <laughs> you know, there's a reason you're scared of spiders, right? And here is one of those reasons.
0: <laughs> um, so, should we just quickly read out I'm going to spawn? I don't
1: know if I have it here. Yep, I've got it if you want. So, he's got a. Uh, he or she? She, almost she. Is she, right? Yeah. So, I'm going to spawn. She has an engagement cost of 32. She's got a threat of 3, hits for 5, defense of 2, and 9 hit points. Nasty piece of work. When revealed, each character currently committed to the quest gets minus 1 willpower until the end of the phase. So if you draw this when you're about to quest, you know, you're, you're probably going to fail. Um, but not only that, uh, then you have to try and defeat this creature as well. Um, and she's a toughie. Yeah, I mean, I was I was lucky because
0: I was playing um, Gimli, and we'll 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 be talking tactics next week. But I had Gimli, and he was beefed up to the max. So by the time I got to the last card, I did choose the path with Ungoliant spawn, and I just chopped her head clean off.
1: (laughs) And did you did you lose anybody first?
0: Was it? I did lose Eowyn, but not at that stage. I'm trying to think. I think I probably lost her to. To some nasty treachery, probably. Yeah. See, I mean, I managed to play Lord of the Rings with without losing a hero. I would say ninety percent of the time. I went back and played the first quest. went, dead as a doornail. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's strange, isn't it? I mean, I've 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 struggled with it since going back to it. <laughs> um, but just to, I mean, it's it's actually a really good quest. This one, I think. I've really enjoyed going back and, and, and doing this again. Um, oh, I think I think thematically it's
0: lovely. And, and like I say, I do think it has just the right number of mechanics to teach you the game. And it certainly doesn't hold your hand.
1: Uh, no, I totally, totally agree with that. And I like the way it's set up at the beginning. So it will straight away reveal a location, it reveals an enemy. So from your very first round, it's basically making you deal with all the different situations you have an enemy with an engagement cost of 25 so you're likely going to be have combat in your first round as well and the way they've put that old forest road in where you can ready a character as soon as you travel there it means you can quest successfully and you can still have enough people there for a fight as well um so the way it's just set up from the very beginning i think it's really really neat um so your first round that you ever play Probably takes ages. <laughs> You're checking everything, aren't you? You know, your first round ever will take half an hour <laughs> to to get through. But but yeah, it's, it's a very enjoyable quest. I really I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, and I think what's uh, what's nice is that chances are the first time you play this game, like the first time ever you play this game, you will probably lose miserably, and often that's a good thing. It it, it really. It really sets uh, it really sets up its stand and says, "Look, this game is not going to be a piece of cake. So you better learn how to play it if you want to get the most from it." And I think you either embrace that or you or you don't. But I think the vast majority of people who come into these sort of games really appreciate that it is going to be a bit of
1: a challenge. Yes, totally. And I did fail miserably a number of times before I, <laughs> I beat this. Well, yesterday. And indeed, yeah, indeed now.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I, th- I think there's not much more to say about Apache Remote, apart from, yeah, good job, Fantasy Flight. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice way to start the game. Um, okay, so I think we better move on. So I think it's time for our Back of the Week. Again, no jingle. So this is the part of the show where we methodically go through all the FAQs one by one and see if there are any unanswered questions, see if there's anything new to discuss about them or if not they're self-explanatory. And uh, yeah, so this week, the fact goes, question. Does the effect on Legolas place progress tokens on an active location if there is one? And the answer is, yes, always place progress tokens on an active location instead of the quest, unless the ability specifically states to bypass any active location. Um, I think actually this is an important fact, because this is one which is confusing to new players. Um, There's one line in the rulebook which states that an active location always acts as a buffer to the current quest. So... What that means is that basically any time that you would be adding progress, it must always go on the location first. And why I think new players find this maybe a touch confusing is that there are also several treacheries and the like that state that progress tokens are removed from the quest. Now, when that happens, they come off of the quest card, not the location. And to some people, that can seem contradictory. Um, the way I like to see it is that when the heroes are battling their way through their quest, they are in that location. So when Legolas' effect, um, um, which we should actually mention what it is. That's true. Yep. Basically, Legolas has an effect that when he participates in a fight where you, where you kill an enemy, you can place a progress token on the current quest. So in that respect, it would go on the location first. So as I was saying, the way I would I would always like to say it, they're battling away in that location. So they'd get a bit further because of Legolas, but they don't go beyond that. Whilst, let's say Sauron's forces are working behind the scenes to damage your um, your progression, they could be chipping away at any progression you've already made on the main quest even though you're in a different location. So they they that's how I would see it thematically that quest tokens come off of the quest card when specified um, and not the location. I mean, there are plenty of treacheries that say take progress tokens off a location. So don't think you're getting away scot free. You're going to lose progress tokens.
1: Yeah. And maybe something's happened whereby you're in a location and uh, you have to take a different direction out of that location or you got held up for whatever reason. And, it, it does tend to work thematically really well when you look at the individual cards. So it does make, it does make sense. Um, but yes, I think it's the overall rule is location first, then quest card, if you're adding progress.
0: Yeah, always, unless it specifically says. I mean, there's a, I think there may be a specific cards which say um, place a quest token onto the current quest card and it would have to say quest card, not quest.
1: Okay, that's a good one to know. So if it says quest, that means it goes on the current location. If it says quest card, you put it on the quest card.
0: I believe so. Let me just quickly find Legolas. Let me just see what the actual wording on, on his card is.
1: Well, I think Legolas is clear. That's always the active location, isn't it? If there is an active location, then that's what the fact says.
0: Oh, absolutely. But well, I'm just curious to see how they word it, whether or not they say quest. Uh, so the actual wording on Legolas says, response, after Legolas participates in an attack that destroys an enemy, place
1: two progress tokens on the current quest. So that's either active location if there is one, else it goes on the quest card. Exactly, yeah. Yep. Yeah, clear. Okay.
0: Alrighty, so it's that time of the show where we like to spread the love and mention some other resources that are out there which are, could help you in your journey through Middle-earth um and this week it's it's a biggie it's a biggie i would like to highlight board game geek now chances are if you're listening to this you already know what board game geek is but there's also a chance that you found us through another means um and also i just think we should just sing its praises because for our hobby there is no better single resource and not just for lord of the rings for any other style of tabletop gaming, board game, card game, you name it, they've got a page for it. The community is always friendly, they are always willing to answer questions, they always welcome new players and I think it's the number one place you should be heading if you have any questions about rules or um, deck building or anything really, it's wonderful and they deserve your attention and
1: support I don't think I've ever used it <laughs> okay that's been Lord of <laughs> <in> the Rings <laughs> however I've so far I have kept my um, searches on, on forums that kind of thing to an absolute minimum and I probably have used it without realising like, just click on a search result and someone's put, posted a, an answer on a forum somewhere but what I mean is I haven't got to the point yet where I've created an account on a forum and contributed or, or what have you. At the moment, I'm really just looking things, the odd, the odd thing up about a rule or something like that, or card, which I'm a bit confused about, and just keeping it to that, essentially, so far. Oh, yeah, and that's fine. and that
0: And this is definitely the place to look, for sure. And you're probably right, when you are Googling these questions, almost certainly... The place where the answer is is BoardGameGeek. But it's also not just for rules. If you want to go there and just read some read some nice articles or reviews or just generally get involved with the Lord of the Rings, the card game community, it's definitely the place I would head. Cool. Alrighty. Um oh, and by the way, on that note, um I have set up a thread on BoardGameGeek specifically for the podcast. So if you want to get in touch with us. Through through that, you are more than welcome. Just hunt it down. Okay, I think that just about wraps it up for today. So coming up next time, I think we're going to be looking at the uh, more corset cards, probably tactics, and maybe we'll bundle spirit into that as well because we already mentioned quite a few of the spirit cards in episode one. So maybe we'll have time just to, to do them both. And if your game, Emery, I think uh, we should take a journey down the Anduin.
1: Fantastic. I like that one a lot. Me too. I think what we'll find now, as we discussed in this episode, Passage Through Mirkwood, uh, that's really um, an introductory kind of quest. I think what we'll start seeing now, even from Journey Down the Anduin, is how the theming really starts to come into play, Um, the game mechanics and and the theme. So, yeah, very much looking forward to, to that one. Yeah, me too. It really is Um, to this
0: day a standout quest so um, there's a few ways you can get in touch with us if you want to we have a twitter account at late of the rings I've actually put a few things up there now so it's not (laughs) the barren landscape it was last week (laughs) we have an email address which is late of the rings at gmail.com and that board game geek thread so yeah feel free to get in touch so all it leaves me to say is take care out there Thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye.